This is Rio of Madison Rising, and you're listening to our acoustic version of the Star Spangled Banner here on KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proud? Stripes in bright stars through the perilous fight. Oh, the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming in the rocket's red.
You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. You're listening to the Spark Radio Network, internet radio like you've never heard before. Innovation, creativity, and imagination are all said to begin with a spark. So fasten your seatbelt and take the ride of your life and listen for the spark. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern, and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord. Right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit Amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. You're listening to God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden. Richard will guide you through the Bible and help you find God's purpose for your life. Now here's teacher and author Richard Harden. Welcome to God's Pure Word of Faith. I'm Richard Harden, and again, I want to thank the Lord and the management of KLRN Radio for this great opportunity to share God's Word with you today. So God's words are life to those who find him and health to all their flesh and that's not just a philosophy or something it truly is because see jesus says in john six sixty three, my words are spirit and they are life so as we're reading god's word and getting god's word in us and we're receiving his word in us positively we're receiving the spirit of his words or we're receiving the living word into our hearts and the living word is God's creating force throughout the universe. God spoke, let there be light. The living word, Christ, went forth and created light. So when when you're reading God's word, you're studying God's word, and you receive it into your heart positively, you're receiving Christ for those words, the living word, the power of those living words, into your 
body and into your mind and heart and soul and everything. In uh, let's see, First Corinthians one twenty four, it says Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because certainly He's the wisdom of God because it's a perfect spoken word of God, and uh, He's the power of God because He is the seed of God, the uh, creator, creating force of God, the living Word, and so. Uh, it's very important to be studying your Bible throughout the week for any of the subjects. But today, I'm going to be talking to you about the material. Basically, it's in one of my books, which is called Mercy, Grace, Charity. Uh, these three words are so important to us because these uh, show us how God comes to us. Now, to get a little background is first, though. I want to talk to you about God himself. First John 4, 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. Now, that's correct. In verse 16, um, And we have known and believed the Son of love that God hath to us. God is love. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Okay, so it says God is love. God is perfect love. He loves each of us with a perfect love. He loved us perfectly when we were in a world of sin. He loved us so much, you know, in a perfect love that he sent Jesus to become our Savior, that we might be delivered from that sin. And uh, he still loves us with a perfect love now that we have received him as Christ in our hearts and become children of God. See, uh, the reason I mention it is because when when we were out in a world of sin, he loved us with a perfect love that he sent Jesus to be our Savior. He still loves us with that perfect love. His love for us hasn't changed. God doesn't love us more since we've become his children because he's always had a perfect love for us. He is perfect love. He loves everyone with the same perfect being of love. Now, he loves us as much as he loves Jesus. That might sound surprising to some of you, but, you know, he loves Jesus with a perfect love. He loves us with a perfect love. Now, when we respond to him and receive him into our heart to become children of God, naturally he's more pleased with us than, you know, when we were out rejecting and everything because he created us to fellowship with him. It says in Isaiah, these people have I formed myself. They shall show forth my praise. He created us to be in fellowship with him. Now, there's only one God. There's one God, so there is only one love. If God is love, that means there is no other uh, love in the universe besides God. Now, we hear people talk about phileo and eros as being other forms of love, but they're not. Because, see, they're not forms of God. If God is love, he is the only love. Now, phileo and eros are not love, but only strong emotional or sexual attractions, which were changed, you know, by the translators to love because we did not have uh, correct words for them in English. They should have just left them as phileo and eros and with the definition that they're strong attractions. You know, there's um, strong attraction, sexual attraction with arrows, strong uh, friendly, 
brotherly love type, or not brotherly love type, but brotherly uh, attraction, phileo, but not love. God is love. He is the only love. Now, the reason I point that out is very serious because uh, it's like saying that there's other gods if you say there's other loves. And also, love is not a characteristic of God. Love is God. God is love. And when you get it down to where it is that serious that God is love, there's no other loves. Love is not something that God sends to us. See, he doesn't send his love to us. He is love. He comes to us. Now, that makes it so serious because we're dealing personally with God himself so often and don't realize it. He comes to us. He manifests his presence from his spirit to our physical surroundings or in our mind in a way that we recognize his special presence. And that recognition is not from God. It is God himself. When we recognize his manifested presence in some kind of intelligible type message in our mind, you know, we'd often say God has spoken to us. No, God has manifested himself it may be one of like the eight ways that I've, in the last couple of weeks, I've shared about how God spoke to people in the Bible um, that I just completed in the last couple of weeks. He may have, you know, manifested himself in one of those ways in our minds and hearts that we know it's him. But see, that's not a message from him. That is him. We're dealing with God personally all the time, not something from God. God doesn't send us messages. He is the message, see. It's just his spirit quickens in our minds to create patterns that we recognize as thoughts. And we understand them when he gives us that understanding of them. Now, the reason I, I point this out so seriously is that people are treating God so lightly and not realizing that it's God they're, you know what, treating that way. And it's so serious. Now, when we reject, like for example, if God uh, asks us to teach a Sunday school class, when we reject teaching in class that he asks us to teach, we're rejecting the living God. We're not just uh, having an option, you know, well, uh, you know, Lord, I, I have never done that before. I, I really don't have any experience in doing it. Uh, I, I can't do it. There's a lot of people better qualified. Well, see, Moses said the same thing when God called him. And Jeremiah claimed that, the prophet Jeremiah claimed that I'm too young. I can't speak. God said, I'll put my words in your mouth, you know, fire in your soul. And, and like this, I'll give you the words. And just if you look all through the scriptures, most people that God called to do something, they claimed they wasn't qualified. And, you know, and that's a basic thing that most people do because we certainly don't feel qualified to do something that we've never done before. So when he calls us to do something, it's the quickest, easiest thing response is, that, well, God, I can't do it. I, I, there's a lot of people that, you know, can do it better than me or something like that. But when he calls us, we got to trust him enough that we'll say, yes, Lord, I'll go if you go with me. Now, the children of Israel had the same problem, you know, when they, uh, got up to the promised land, they had seen all those miracles going, you know, coming out of Egypt, captivity, and then Moses got them right to the edge of the promised land, sent out 12 spies to see the best way to cross over. 
10 of them came back and said, we can't do that. There's giants over there. See, they didn't trust God enough to follow God's will into the promised land. And uh, 10 of the spies then talked the children of Israel into rejecting God's word or God's will to them. Now, if you look at the story in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 19, it says that they failed to enter into the promised land because of an evil heart of unbelief in rejecting the living God. See, his word to them wasn't just a message to them uh, from him. His will to them and his message, you know, like that, was him. He, they were rejecting the living God when they refused to cross into the promised land. And that's the way it is with us. If God asks us to go down and visit a neighbor down the street and help them, and, and we're too busy and we, we, we put it off or something like that, we're putting off the living God. It's God himself manifesting it to us. Now, They didn't trust, the children of Israel didn't trust God enough after seeing all those miracles to believe that God would, you know, uh, deliver them from the giants and, and protect them and, and help them capture the promised land. So they rejected his word and will. We have such a loving God, and that's why it's important to learn correctly about him and his relationships he desires with us. Like uh, Second Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So to grow in grace, to grow in you know the relationship with the Lord, we got to realize that we're dealing personally with the Lord when we uh, get these messages that we feel like maybe God is leading us into doing something, or like some people say today, that God's wooing me to you know teach that class, or He's wooing me to <laughs> do something like that. Well, if you feel that God is uh, moving you in any way or trying to direct you in any way like that. It's a living God we're dealing with. So uh, it, it's, not, it's not just a message or something from him. Now, okay, if this hadn't surprised you enough, there's more to come, so stick around. Mercy, grace, and charity, listen to this closely now, are not different kinds of love. Okay, let me explain that. They're not different kinds of love. There is only one love, God. Mercy, grace, and charity are the methods God uses to come to us. Now, to explain that a little more, uh, just as water comes to our house, you know, it, it, we don't get different kinds of water from the city. For an example, your house or most houses receive all their water supply from a main city connection off the main city water line. Yeah, I'm thinking about here in the United States, you know, other places around the world might be listening. You know, it might be different, but, you know, the main water line runs down the street either in front or behind our house, and, and we connect to that water line, connect our house. Now, all the water we receive from that line, from them, is the same water, you know, essentially, even though you might call the water by different names because where the pipes route some of the different places. Like, for example, we say, well, we got kitchen water, you know, we got bath water, we got shower water, we got lawn water, we got commode water. And I see, this water is all the same coming from the city. 
the water's the same wherever it is routed. We just call it different names. Like for example, if we need to identify to a plumber or something where our problem, if we have a problem with our water system somewhere, uh, where it is, so the plumber will have an idea, you know, uh, he's gonna have to work with our shower or he's gonna have to work with our kitchen sink or something like this, we call it kitchen water. But see the water throughout our house is the same. We don't have different waters. We have the same coming from the main city source. And that's with God. We call it mercy because of the way God gets his, uh, well, the way God comes to us, we call it mercy. Or we call it grace the way God comes to us in a different form. And then charity in another form. But it's still God himself, the perfect love, and there is no other love. So see, all of these loves are the same. But now, mercy, grace, and charity are different. And I'm going to give you a, a quick definition of these to show you how they're different. And then I'm going to go back and, and speak about each one in more detail. I just give you an overview first. Now, you might have a trouble. You might have trouble if you try to check out what I'm saying in the theological dictionaries. And the reason I say that is because, you know, naturally when I was, you know, first studying about mercy, grace, and charity, that's what I used. And I found out that when I got to uh, mercy, looking it up, and it gives us definitions in there, you know, it's a lot, lot of big, fancy theological words and everything. But then it'll have in it uh, that mercy is, you know, it's got grace in it and mixed in it. I could get you one here. I was normally use vines uh, dictionary but he you know he the problem with this is he uses and others use grace to define mercy expressions about grace and everything and then when you get over to look to see what the definition of grace is they use expressions of mercy to define grace well, see that's not you can't get a definition like that if if you want a definition of mercy you've got to identify the word mercy away from all other words you know it's like a patent lawyer when a patent lawyer writes a patent on something some item he describes it so clearly that it uh, completely removes that item from any other item as best they can because you know they're they're trying to describe it alone now when we define mercy we can't use grace to define mercy and then turn around and use mercy to define grace see that's not a definition it's going in circles now so if you take a look at you know, some of the theological dictionaries you'll find something like that going on and that's not a clear definition of either one of them then it's just a mixture of god's love and a lot of good words and you say well if i say enough good words i must eventually be defining it but that's not true the best way to find the definition of the words in the scripture is to find scriptures that define them and then use that definition. For example, mercy. Here I'm gonna give you um, the definition of mercy. It's a one-way love of God or his manifestation to us. One way, whether we respond to him positive or negative, his outward approach to us, like 
accidents, protecting us from accidents, uh, protecting us from other things, uh, our help, many things we do not ever see him do. You know, like we're driving down the road today or yesterday or like that, and uh, cars passing us didn't have blowouts and cause wrecks, things like this. God protects us from things that we we will never even know all of God's love and protection to us because he does so much of it all day long. If he didn't, the devil would take us out because in John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. See, if if God removed his love from us and protection from us and his angels around us, <coughs> like in Psalm 34, 7, the angel Lord encounters, I mean, encamps around about those that fear him and delivers them. See, we're delivered from so many things throughout the day that we don't even know about. Because if God ever took his protection from us, like it is mercy from us, the devil would tear us up. But now, the example then, or where this definition comes from, which I'm going to go into more detail in just a couple of minutes, is Luke chapter 10, verse 17, the story of the Good Samaritan. When God, when Jesus got through with the story that he was telling about the Good Samaritan, he asked the people, who is your, you know, your neighbor? The lawyer spoke up who knew the words in those days, you know, better than probably most of them. He spoke up and said, he that showed mercy. Well, then go back and analyze that, which I will in a few minutes. And you'll see that mercy is that one-way love, not expecting or demanding anything in return. You just love and you send the love out from you or something like that. Okay, now Luke 36, 31, 36 says, Jesus uh, tells bless those that curse you. You know, we'll give to those in need. Uh, lend and don't ask for anything in return. And then in the uh, last few verses there, verse 36 says, uh, be ye merciful even as your Father in heaven is merciful, see. So that is showing mercy when you're just sharing love outwardly in one way, and he wants us to do that. But see, that is God's mercy to us. He shows his love. He comes to us in his love in so many ways that he doesn't expect and demand uh, any positive response. Certainly he'd be pleased when we do respond positively because then he'll lead us to, you know, uh, accept him into our heart then, which leads us to the next method of coming. Grace is any work of the Spirit of God, Christ, Jesus, Holy Spirit, any uh, reference to God like that in the heart of mankind is what we call grace or the work of grace or the Spirit of grace. And uh, Ezekiel thirty six twenty six, God was speaking through the prophet telling about the new covenant. And this is one of the best definitions or the one of the best indications of what grace is, I believe, is anywhere in the Bible. In Ezekiel 36, 26, God says, A new heart also will I give you. A new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. Now, see, that was the new covenant he was planning for us. In the Old Testament, people didn't have that. They had forgiveness, and he covered their sins. And every now and then, he put his spirit in, in somebody for a special action or work when they were building the temple and, and you know, performing some service for him. But they didn't have the new heart, the new life. They didn't have his spirit in them, and they weren't 
children of his. We are children of God because when he creates in us a new heart, a new life, puts his spirit in us, we become his children. We're children of God. Now, like Romans 8 9 says, now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So we become a child of God the instant his spirit comes into our heart. We're part of his family. We, we're part of his creation, you know, from birth. But without his spirit in us, we're not a part of his family. Only those who have received his spirit into, our, into their heart are children of God. Uh, Romans 8 9 again, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And then Romans 8 11 says, Now if the spirit of him that raised Christ Jesus from dead dwell in you, he that raised Christ Jesus from dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. See, it's Christ in us. Paul says in Colossians 1.27, the mystery of the gospel, the people of the Old Testament, the reason he says mystery is because people of the Old Testament had never experienced that, and they didn't know what it was going to be like, you know. Um, you, you can imagine what things are like that you haven't experienced. Like, you know, you can imagine, I, I remember I, I, I worked so hard to finally get a college degree and everything, and I could imagine what it might be like and everything. But once you get it, you know, you don't have to imagine anymore. You got it. But people of the Old Testament, you know, it was a mystery to them because Colossians one twenty seven says the mystery of um, the gospel, Christ in us, our hope of glory. See? Now, so, and Galatians 4, 6, and because your sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, or Daddy, Father. Wherefore, you no more a servant, but a son, if a son, the heir of God with Christ, a joint heir with Jesus, you know, joint heir with Jesus to the same promises uh, that God had for Jesus, he has for us, you know, and, and we grow in grace by receiving more of Christ into our heart, Christ, the living word. Now, uh, so any work of the spirit in our heart or in the heart of mankind is what we call grace. Now, see, grace is so different than mercy. But see, it's the same love. It's the same God. God is love, and he's a perfect love, regardless of where he is working in our life. When he comes to us directly to protect us and strengthen us and things like this, you know, in his mercy, well, that's God's love. Mercy is just telling us that it's external to the heart. It's outward to us. It's his um, love on us. But now grace then is when we humble ourselves and invite Christ to come into our heart. Now, you hear a lot of times about uh, uh, something I'll get into a little further in a minute here about uh, grace is God's unmerited favor and like this. And that's not true. Unmerited favor comes from, uh, what is it, uh, oh, Romans 2, 4 where it says God blesses lost people to draw them to repentance. See, when we were in a world of sin and, and God was in his mercy, you know, protecting us, like it says in Luke, um, excuse me here. My mind had a senior moment here. In Ephesians 2.8, he says, you know, for by grace are you saved through faith. Well, the first uh, seven verses of that says that we were all in a world of sin. We were, you know, in the, you know, chasing after the lust of the world and the flesh and things like this. It says, but God in his mercy, 
in that time. He was protecting us, everything, and drawing us to him. See, so when we respond to his mercy, you know, his one-way love to us and everything, that when we respond, say, yes, Lord, you know, and invite him to come into our heart, then when he comes into our heart, he creates in us a new heart, a new life, and we become his children. But see, when he's protecting us and blessing us to draw us to repentance, that's his unmerited favors talked about in uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 4. There is uh, no favor here in grace. Grace comes to us, and, and you'll hear people say, um, grace is God's unmerited favor. It's unearned and all this. It's unearned. We cannot do anything to be good enough to to receive God's grace just because of our efforts and our work. But there is something I must do. There's something you must do. There's something everybody must do to receive grace. You don't work for it and earn it, but you must humble yourself to God's word and invite him to come into your heart. Now, what I mean by that is, for by grace are you saved through faith. Faith is the acceptance of God's word. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. But then in Psalms 119, 9, it goes a little further. It says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed there to according to God's word. See, it, it talked about in Romans uh, 10, 17, when it says faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God, it includes that heeding in it too. See, that is the only way to receive faith is when you hear God's word is to receive his word into your heart. If you reject his word, that's what we call unbelief. You're rejecting the living God because see, God and his word are the same. So when he, when, when he comes to us and manifests a message to us, like I was talking about earlier in our mind, and we reject it, we're rejecting the living God to unbelief. As it says in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 19, you're rejecting the living God, not just a message from him or something. It's him we're rejecting. But now, when he speaks to us and teaches us we're a sinner, and we accept his words that, yes, I'm a sinner. Oh, you know, God identifies to us our sins and everything. If we reject we're a sinner, we can't be saved because, see, we're rejecting God's word to us. Now, if we accept his word into our heart that we're a sinner, then he will teach us further that Jesus is the answer for our sins, that he has provided a way for those sins. And, you know, some people then they want to, you know, drink their sins away or escape from them or something like this, you know, drugs, alcohol, sex, power, money, and things like this. But, but that won't do it. That won't erase our sins. The only way then is Jesus. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, we have to accept his words to us in that Jesus is our answer or we can't be saved. We've got to accept we're a sinner. We've got to accept that our answer is Jesus, that he's provided the way for us. And then even knowing that is not salvation. But then what do we do about that? You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern, and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. 
It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord. Right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. You're listening to God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden. Richard will guide you through the Bible and help you find God's purpose for your life. Now here's teacher and author Richard Harden. We, uh, a minute ago before we had to take a break, that uh, when God starts teaching us that we're a sinner, we have to accept his words that we're a sinner or we can't get saved. See, we accept his words, and it's, it's the spirit of those words. In Jesus says in John six sixty three, my words are spirit, and they are life. We receive his words into our heart that we're a sinner, and then what do we do about our sin? Well, then uh, God teaches us, you know, that Jesus, he provided a way, uh, and we know then that we must turn to the Lord. Now, some people might say, well, you know, uh, like people in our society today that have run Jesus down so much and everything, it's going to be very difficult for them to turn again like Apostle Paul did and said, hey, you know, uh, Lord, what must I do when Jesus identified himself to Apostle Paul? But anyway, or it wasn't Apostle Paul then, but he was Saul, but he became Apostle Paul. Well, that's the way it is with people today that they're going to have to somehow or humble themselves to Jesus because he is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way for salvation and uh, freedom and forgiveness of our sins. Now, once you know that, that still doesn't make you a Christian, just knowing that to be true. Because, see, the response to it is what determines. When we then say, Lord, please forgive me my sins, and call out to him and ask his forgiveness, invite him to come into our heart, then when he responds to us then and sends his spirit, or he, see, I say sends his spirit. When he comes to us in the spirit and comes into our heart, creates in us a new heart, a new life, that's when we become a child of God. See, when we call out to him, his response is what saves us. Like in Ezekiel 36, 26, a new heart also will give you, a new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh, give you hard flesh, and I'll put my spirit in you. See, that's when we become a child of God. And that's when we're in the family of God then as one of his children, like it says in uh, Romans 8 and 9. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, then none of his. But see, when we receive his spirit then, that's the instant we become a child of God. 
Now, so that is the work of grace then in us. The work of grace, and we have to do something to receive it. See, we have to humble ourselves that we're a sinner, Jesus answer, and invite him to come into our heart. Now, that is, that is so sad. I've, I've looked through a book by a guy named Max Licato, one of the big grace teachers in our society. Um, I, I kind of hate to mention his name like this and everything, but he spends millions of dollars, you know, teaching his beliefs and everything. And he had 15 or 20 of the top ministers across our nation sign how great his book on grace is and everything. But in the book, he states in the book, he says, I have no bit of understanding how you receive it. You just get it. You know, grace is not something that God just dumps on people at a certain time like that. Grace is always the automatic response of the Spirit of God in our heart when we accept God's words into our heart. See, the living word, uh, just like when God asks us to do something, when he, when he asks us to go down the street to help a neighbor or teach a class. See, his living words are coming to us. Now, to accept those words by faith means we have to accept and receive them into our heart. Otherwise, we're rejecting unbelief. So when we accept and receive God's words into our heart, then the spirit of those words, Jesus says, my words are spirit and life. The spirit of those words working in our heart to help us produce what God is speaking to us about and to you know allow him to work in us and through us to produce whatever that is, that's the spirit of grace in working in our heart. See, and it's just telling us now that God's spirit is working in our heart. God's mercy is God's love on us, to us. Grace is God's love or him, God himself, working in our heart. But we have to receive him into our heart. He won't force his way in. Now, charity goes one step further. And I believe this for sure is the reason that the devil had all the new versions take charity out of the Bible because the devil didn't want to know people to know about charity, what charity means. Charity is the work of God in our heart or work of grace. He creates in us, a, you know, his spirit in us for like to teach a class. He, he, we receive his spirit in us to teach that class. Then he starts working in our heart to give us the uh, ability to teach that class, to give us the strength to it, to give us a guidance to teach that class. Grace is a work of God in and through a Christian's heart to another person, whether that other person is saved or not. See, it's charity is a joint effort between God and man. When I allow God to work into my heart, to work through me to someone else, see, I'm in joint agreement with God. He's wanting me to do that, and he's asking me to do that, and he's, he's wanting to go with me to do it. And then when I willfully submit myself to him and say, Lord, I'll go, I'll do what you want, see, he, God and I, we are going together in this particular operation. And as I go then, he's going with me. He provides the means and everything. See, that's just like gifts of the Spirit. 
you know, he goes with me and whatever the need is of that person, he'll supply the need if I'll just go in submission to him and speak his words and do what he leads me to do. So that's a unity between us. We're obeying a request of God and God is working in and through us with our consent to let him move through us to someone else. Now that is the exact same thing as Apostle Paul expressed in a different way. It says, faith that worketh by love. See, God speaks to me and asks me to go down and share with a neighbor or teach a class or something. I have to accept his words into faith. His words come into my heart. They become spirit in me. See, I've accepted his word in my heart. Now, you know, I'm accepting and obeying the faith and going to do and God's love is going with me because I'm going with the right attitude and everything. So I am responding to God and it's faith that worketh by love. Or it's an act of charity where God and I are going together to perform whatever that action is that God wants to perform in the other person's life that he's sending us to. So see, only a Christian can perform a biblical work of grace. That's why the you know people today do not understand that and everything. But excuse me, not a biblical work of grace, a biblical work of charity, because charity has been so misused. You know, you just help people and everything and give them food and stuff, and that's called charity. But see, they did that in the Old Testament. In fact, God told them, you know, like it when you have sacrifices in the Old Testament, and uh, when you have a, a feast and stuff like this, bring in the poor, bring in the needy. See. But he didn't call it charity back there because, see, charity, it wasn't charity. It was being nice and kind and blessing the people back there in the Old Testament. But charity is from the spirit internal to us, the, the work of grace in us, God in us working together to someone else. And and that is such a, a, a beautiful uh, I don't know, just an act of the charity, you know, like that biblical charity. So he's not just going helping people. That's nice. Yes, that is and everything. But in the Old Testament, they did that. But see, charity was a New Testament word. But they've, they've eliminated that because, you know, us working with God, you know, who do you think you are, you know, that you're working with God and God's working with you and stuff like this, you know, everything. But that is the work of charity. Now, these three ways, mercy, grace, and charity, you can see, are not different loves of God. God doesn't have different loves. God is love. And it's God working to us in just a different manner or a different uh, way. Like, you know, when you get that uh, main water, you know, from the city and it comes into your house, the water's the same wherever it goes, you know, like that. But we call it kitchen water if it's branched off to the kitchen or, you know, shower water or whatever like this. But it's just God's love is the same. God is love. He's the same However, he's working in our life, but he's working external to our heart. It's called mercy. It's mercy love. When it's in our heart, it's a work of grace. And when he's working in our heart and through us, in fact, in uh, Timothy, Apostle Paul says that uh, charity is the end of the law, fulfillment of the law. And that's because we're loving God in our heart with all our heart when we allow him to come in and perform the work of grace that he wants us to do. And then we're loving our neighbor as ourself when we allow God to, that same love in our heart for the work of grace in us to be shared through us to our neighbor. See, we're sharing that same love, the love of God 
we're sharing God, you might say then, through us to the neighbor. So we're loving God with all our heart and we're sharing the same love with our neighbor. So it's a, a perfect fulfillment of the law of loving God with all our heart and loving our neighbor as ourself. Now, these three ways in that God uh, comes to us, mercy, grace, and charity. When we accept and humble ourselves to God's word to receive him into our heart for the work of grace, and then when we receive him into our heart for grace, you know, we could just stop there. But then charity extends that, that we allow him then to work in and through us to others. Mercy, grace, and charity. Now, let's take a look a little bit closer at uh, mercy. Mercy, there's so many things being taught about it that um, need to clear up a little bit if we can. Mercy, the work of God to or in a person. In Isaiah 59, 21, uh, God says, this is my covenant with them. He said that he'll put my spirit, God says he'll put my spirit on them. See, and that's in the Old Testament now, Isaiah 59, 21. And he said, and I'll put my words in their mouth. So that's mercy and truth. See, God's word is truth. In John chapter 17, verse 17, when Jesus was praying, he says, Father, sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. So his covenant with man in the Old Testament was that he would put his spirit on them. See, not in them, you know, not the work of grace, but the mercy on them. And his words in their mouths. So it's mercy and truth. In Psalms 25.10, the psalmist says, All the ways of the Lord are mercy and truth to those who obey his covenants and testimonies. Now, there's a lot of punishments, things like this. But see, the psalmist here is talking about to those who are seeking to be godly, to seeking to be, you know, uh, in obedience and, you know, walking with the Lord. He said all the ways were mercy, which is like it says in Isaiah 59, his love on them. And truth, his word, he said in Isaiah 59, 21, that he had put in their mouth. Well, see, the psalmist is saying the same thing here, that all the ways of the Lord are mercy and truth that are those who obey his testimonies and covenants. Now, the reason I say that is because... Uh, there's a lot of uh, ministers that are teaching that there was grace in the Old Testament and uh, that people were saved in the Old Testament the same way. When you hear that, no, because, see, uh, grace is a New Testament word. Jesus had grace. He came in the fullness of grace. It says in John chapter 1, verse 14, 17, the fullness of grace and, and truth. Now, but up until that time, or even during that time, no one else had that work of grace in their heart until the day of Pentecost, until the Spirit came back on the day of Pentecost to live and reside in mankind's hearts. Grace is a New Testament word. Certainly mercy, I mean, certainly uh, charity is a New Testament word because, see, charity comes from the work of grace through a Christian to someone else. Now, but in the Old Testament and the uh, and for us today, before we received Christ, 
all the people have is the work of God on them, to them, and his words to teach them. In fact, uh, Jesus said in John 6, 45, they shall all be taught of God, see? So God speaks to people today before they become Christians. But we have to, you know, have that learning from him for him to teach us about Jesus, teach us about our sins and everything. Uh, the work of God in the Old Testament and before a person becomes a Christian is just mercy to them, protecting them, and his words to teach them. Now, in Acts chapter 10, there's a guy named Cornelius that uh, was a very good man. It says that he prayed always. He gave alms. Uh, he was one of the most respected people in the community, and his family was too. But there was something lacking. He was a Gentile, but there was something lacking that he hadn't received Christ in his heart. So God sent him a dream. And in a dream, an angel came to him. So he got a double whammy there. He got the dream from God and an angel. And this is Acts chapter 10 now. If you want to get your book out and read about this, how great this man was, how good he was. And the angel said, you know, that... Uh, your alms have come before the Lord, and he's heard your prayers. said, send to Joppa, this man, you know, uh, Simon Peter, and he will come and tell you what you need to do. Now, in those days, the uh, Jews didn't, you know, talk to, well, didn't talk to, you know, Gentiles and in any form, something like that. They separated from them. And, but God gave Peter three visions that day telling him, you know, to go. And so when uh, Cornelius sent his servants over to get Peter, God had already prepared the way and told Peter to go tell Cornelius what he needs to do to be saved. So Peter went over there and started telling about Jesus. If you read in uh, Acts chapter 10, the message that uh, Peter told Cornelius, he was just telling him about Jesus. He didn't tell him about gifts of the Spirit. He didn't tell him about speaking in tongues. He didn't tell him about any of these other things. He just told him about Jesus. And then all of a sudden, while he was talking, Cornelius and a bunch of them broke out shouting and praising the Lord, speaking in tongues and everything, just like on the day of Pentecost, the disciples. Well, they baptized him <coughs> and uh, received him into the body of Christ and everything. So, when Peter went back home then, the other disciples kind of, you know, jumped on him or were going to jump on him and said, hey, what is this you've done going talking to that Gentile? And he said, well, God told me in a vision to go tell him what to do to be saved. So God sent him there, see, as, as good as Cornelius was in praying and and. Well, you know, uh, giving alms and helping the poor and all this type of thing. As good as he was, well-respected as he was by the community, without Christ in his heart, he wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a child of God. Now, another thing is that God sent the angel to tell him to send after Peter. Angels do not preach or teach the gospel. So uh, the angel just told him where to go to be able to, you know, get somebody to tell him about the gospel. So now, 
in Luke chapter 10, verse 37, I mentioned earlier that this is uh, the story then of the Good Samaritan. For those of you who may not be familiar with that story, it, um, in Luke chapter 10, let me find it here real quick. Uh, people were asking Jesus who their neighbor was and everything, and Jesus told them then about this man that was, had been, kept, I mean, been uh, hurt by some robbers, and he was laying beside the road uh, evidently unconscious, beat up so bad and everything. And a, a religious leader came by, a priest, in verse 31, it says, and by chance there came down a certain priest, by the way, and when he saw him laying on the side of the road, he passed on the other side. He didn't stop. And so that indicates that since the priest should have probably stopped, this was possible or should be a Jew then that was laying there because it, it shows that the priest uh, should have stopped and ministered to, you know, one of his fellow brothers and everything. You know. And likewise, a Levite, when he came at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. See, uh, the two that kind of were, should have had, you know, a love for, you know, one of their brothers hurt, laying on the side of the road. They were too busy or something and just went on by. But then a Samaritan came. And as he journeyed, he came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion or, you know, a feeling sorry, a love of a feeling sorry for the guy and everything. He went. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern, and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord, right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. You're listening to God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden. Richard will guide you through the Bible and help you find God's purpose for your life. Now here's teacher and author Richard Harden. Welcome back to God's Pure Word of Faith. Uh, 
right when we took the break, we were discussing how Jesus had answered a man and said, who is my neighbor? And was telling a story of what we concern, uh, what we normally say is the good Samaritan story. Because in this, uh, Jesus told him about a man laying beside the road, beat up and left, you know, for dead or something like that. And he had been robbed and everything. And a, a priest had passed by and crossed on the other side of the street and didn't help him. A Levite had passed by, and, uh, one of the religious leaders, you know, and had crossed on the other side of the street and didn't help him. And so the man must have been a Jew because it was their responsibility, as he pointed out here, to have helped them. But then a Samaritan, which was what we'd call a half-breed, you know, he was part Jew and part Samaritan, uh, he came by, and um, the Samaritans were hated by the Jews, and vice versa, you know, the Jews hated them and everything. Well, uh, the Samaritan stopped and helped him. It says, went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, brought him to an inn or a motel or hotel, you know, and took care of him. And then on the morrow, the next day, when the Samaritan departed, he took out two pence and gave the money to the, the host of the hotel and said unto him, take care of him and whatever thou spendest more to take, you know, to take care of him. When I come again, I'll repay thee. Then Jesus says, which now of these three thinkest thou was a neighbor. You know, he was talking about the priest, the Levite, or Samaritan. But listen to how the uh, lawyer responded. He said, he that showed mercy on him. Now, showing mercy was, now what, what did he show on the uh, man beside the road that beat up and everything? He didn't go to him and make a deal. You know, if, if I help you, will you pay me back someday? Or you'll owe me a favor or anything like this. He saw a need. He saw the man needed help. And in his compassion for the man, he did all of this, not expecting anything in return. Now, see, that's that one-way love. That's what mercy is. And like I mentioned before, that this is a good example right here to define mercy to you. And also, like a unmerited favor that people talk about that say it's, uh, you know, uh, Grace, no, grace is not unmerited favor. In uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Or despises thou the riches of God's goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. See, the goodness of God, his unmerited favor to us, his blessings to us before we were Christian, is what God used to try to draw us to him. See, God doesn't beat people up and uh, try to make them come to him. He blesses people. And that's one of the reasons it's so hard because people will say, well, look what I did. You know, I, I did this great job here. And, you know, I made this. I created this. When God was blessing them to try to draw them to repentance, they were taking all the credit for what God had done in their life. And so it's, it's you know, almost like a catch-22 when people take the – you know, the responsibility and everything and, and say, I did it. You know, I did it. I went to college. I did all this stuff. I did this, made all this money and everything like this. You know, when and God's allowing them to be blessed so that they can come to him. Now, but see, this one-way love, not expecting or for anything in return. And also in Luke chapter 6, I'd mentioned that earlier, it says here, uh, 
Love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Now, see, he's talking to us now, and that's the way he wants us to, because there's a lot of people, when God comes to them, they push him aside or something like that. Like it says in Romans chapter 1, you know, that when, when they knew him and, and were aware of him, he's promised to bring everybody to a knowledge of uh, his salvation, like in Titus 2.11, the grace of God that brings salvation appeared to all men. And when God appears to people, they, they push him aside or block it out or, you know, something like this. But he wants to use us to try to get their attention because he's still, you know, working through us in charity, his love in our heart through us to others to try to draw them to him. It says, bless them that curse you. Pray for them which despitefully use you. Well, if you're in a situation like an office, something like that, and, and something happens and somebody's maybe uh, rumors about you or lying or something like this, uh, if, if if you fight back and like everybody else does, see, they won't see any difference between you being a child of God. But here God is saying, bless them, pray for them. And then see, God will be working with you on that. But if you reject this word here and say, well, I got to speak up for myself. I got to give them peace of my mind and everything like this. See, that's just the way the people of the world do. There's no difference. And God can't work in the situation like he wants to then. And unto them that smiteth thee on one cheek, offer the other. And it says, uh, Give to every man that asks thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. See, be different. And um, if you would that men should do to you, do ye also to them. But if you love them which love you, what thank have you? Because sinners also love those that love them, or, you know, they like them, you know, like they don't have the love, you know, because, uh, but they like them real strong and everything, and are friends with them. See, so we aren't being any different if we just, you know, like and take care of the ones that are our friends and everything. He said, if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you? The sinners or lost people also do the same. You know, and uh, there's a lot of clubs around the country, you know, like golf clubs, uh, uh, Kiwanis clubs, different things like this, uh, uh, civic type organizations that help people a lot and everything. And, and people just really enjoy being in those things and, you know, helping people. But, you know, <clears throat> that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about us being different like this. And says, and lend to them whom you hope to return. What thank have you? Sinners lend to their friends, you know, everything. But he said, but love your enemies, do good, lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. Now listen to this. And ye shall be children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful. See, he's saying all these things are ways of being merciful, one-way love to people, sharing love to them regardless of how they treat you or something like that. Be therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. See, so like the Good Samaritan story. Here, this is mercy and being merciful. And uh, so many scriptures on mercy throughout the scriptures that if we show mercy, you know, it, it's almost like we're storing up mercy for ourselves. You know, God is so pleased and he's so happy for his children to show mercy because, see, we're allowing him to use us to reach people or to speak up to people and, and that have rejected him, have turned aside from him. And, and he wants to use every avenue possible to reach the lost people. Uh, he doesn't just give up on them completely. He may give up approaching people directly, but see, he wants to use us then as examples of how he blesses his children 
so that they will say, you know, maybe I'm missing something, you know. I need what that person has. And that's what, not what is being shown in our society. Nowadays, you know, people want to get rid of Christians, get them out of the way. If they got a problem in Washington and they don't say, let's call some Christians and, you know, get the wisdom of God and, and you know, uh, them working with us, they say, get the Christians out of here so we can solve the problem. See, our society is just flipped from that. But we as Christians need to be living the kind of lives that people will see, yes, we have it better. It may rain on the just and the unjust, but the just shouldn't get us wet because we have the shield of faith to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. We have the faith that says in first, you see, John 5, 4, this is victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith, our acceptance and obedience to God's word, see like this. So even though it's raining on us, we shouldn't get us wet and we shouldn't stay wet as long either. But anyway, so God's mercy in us and through us is actually a work of charity on our part, but it's mercy to the one that we're going to and that the Lord's working through us to reach. <clears throat> now, all they had in the Old Testament, like I said in Isaiah 59, 21, again, God says his covenant, my spirit on them and my words in their mouth. Psalms 25.10 says, Mercy and truth are all the ways of the Lord to those who obey his testimonies and his covenants. Now, in uh, John chapter 1, it says that uh, grace came by Jesus. Grace, again, is a work of the Spirit in our hearts. The work of the Spirit in our heart. And that only takes place now when we respond to his mercy to us. See, when uh, it says, you know, like in Romans 2, 4, a while ago that I read, it says that God blesses lost people to draw them to repentance. But so often it doesn't result in that because the lost person takes credit for whatever happened. I can remember, you know, just uh, things that happened in my life. You know, I'd say, well, I did this and I did this and I did this, you know, so often. And uh, never even thought to give God credit for any of those things. And I look back now and it's almost embarrassing, you know, like that, to have, to have lived all those years without even recognizing, you know, God's wonderful work, you might say, in my life to draw me to him. Now, we're born on this earth without any spirit of God in us. Now, if, uh, I like to draw little stick figures. And so if you can think in your mind like a person with a real big heart. Now, what's in that heart before we become a child of God, before we respond to God's mercy? Well, you're, as a baby, you start learning you know, from your mothers and dads. And in, in your mind, you know, you're, you're reading those things, accepting those things into your heart that you're taught. But see, mothers and dads around the world teach a lot of different things. There's not a constant... Uh, common teaching throughout the you know world different races and everything have different customs stuff and that's what they start teaching uh, the child starts you know uh, saying this is mine this is mine wanting to claim everything you know uh, things of the flesh you know uh, as a child grows on up pretty soon the teachers and and friends at school and like this start uh 
teaching your children or teaching us things or we, we learn from them into our heart, you know, that we ought to be this way. We ought to be that way. You know, uh, some societies, their children are just taught full of hate. Other societies, you know, or other places, you know, they're taught to love people or to, you know, really like people. You know, you can't teach them to love because love is God. And, but you can teach them to like people and be concerned about people and things like this. Um, and after your family and friends and, and your school, uh, there are just so many things in our society, television and, and all these games that people play, you know, the young people play, you know, that are killing people back and forth and everything. A person's heart is just filled with so much. And that's what it's talked about in Ephesians chapter 2 where it says, you know, the lust of the flesh and things like this. We were all in, in that way. Now, we weren't all necessarily a bad or hateful or mean people, but some grow up mean like that from, you know, childhood because of the family surroundings and everything. You know, uh, it's just your environment and everything becomes a part of you. This is the kind of people that God is trying to send us to. Once we have his spirit in us and we're his children, he wants to send us to help draw other people to him. Now, we're born in total sin. Now, sin is uh, separation of the heart from God. So our heart is totally separated from God. And then one day, you know, we uh, God teaches us we're sinner, and we respond positively and say, yes, Lord, please forgive me my sin. Come into my heart. And that then is when God says in Ezekiel 36, 20, a new heart will give you, a new spirit will put with you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh and all those lusts of the flesh and everything. I'll take away the stony heart out of it, give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit in you. See, so at salvation, when we become a child of God, he cleanses us from that heart or cleanses us, gives us a new heart. We all come into the family of God with a new heart, pure, perfect heart from God and his spirit in us. That's when we become the child of God, Galatians 4, 6. And because your sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, wherefore you no more a servant, but a son, if a son, the heir of God through Christ. Uh, that's when we're born again. Jesus says you must be born again. See, we're being born into the family of God by his living word coming into us. We're now children in the family of God. We're new creatures, says in Second. Corinthians 5, uh, 17, like this, new creature. Behold, all things become new. Because see, now we have a new heart. We have a new source now inside us to lead and guide us and help us. But we got the problem now with our mind. He doesn't do that to our mind. Apostle Paul killed people before he became a Christian. And he taught a lot about uh, mind control, like in Romans chapter 2, uh, excuse me, Romans 12. Verse 2 says, be not conformist, well, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's why we need to be studying God's word. You know, once he comes into our heart, studying his word and renewing our mind, because, see, our mind, we remember those things of the past. And it's easy to let bad habits come in and, and war against the spirit of Christ in us, because, you know, uh, he doesn't just completely wipe out our mind and put all good stuff in it and erase our memory and everything. But we have to do that, you know, growing in Christ, that is growing in God's word, living word, studying his word, letting our mind then be controlled by the spirit in us.
And the way to do that then is to get more of God's living word in us. Like when I was mentioned before, we study God's word and, and he fills our heart with this word. And then when things happen throughout the daytime, then he can, the spirit of God then can remind us about those words in our heart, Christ in our heart and guide us throughout the daytime. But see, if we don't study God's word and everything and fill our heart with his word, he can't remind us of those things because they're not in us for him to remind us. So uh, we need to be studying God's word and, and allowing him in to lead and guide us. Because now, in the Old Testament, when people called out to the Lord, there's a, what is it? Uh, let's see. Job 33, verse 27 Job 33, 27 shows that, that they had to do the same thing that we did. But it says here, verse 27, God looked upon men, and if any say, I have sinned, see, they confess that they've recognized and learned they've sinned, and perverted that which was right. See, they've, they've done things that, you know, just were so bad and everything, perverted that which is right. It says, and it profits me not. See, they see there's no profit in it. They want to turn from their sin. They, they've come to this point to where all this sin and, and this evil ways they've been living and everything hadn't profited them a bit. Okay, God looks upon men, and if any say, I have sinned and perverted that which is right, and it profits me not, God will deliver his soul from going to the pit, and his life shall see the light. Now, but what happened then, though, God forgave them of their sins, and then he covered their sins. He forgave them and covered them. But see, in our situation, though, we get such a better response from God when we turn to him and ask forgiveness of our sins and invite him to come to our heart. We get the clean, new heart. He puts his spirit in us and adopts us into the family. So now we're children of God. And it's so different, so great. Now, the reason I'm, I'm making this such a point of this is because you've got to know that you've had come to a time in your life when you've seen yourself as a sinner and you know you're a sinner to God because, you know, he's taught you that you're a sinner. And sin is separation your heart from God. And when you recognize that, then you're separated from him and you want to join together with him and ask his forgiveness of your sins and everything. It's like a, a beautiful, you know, a crystal vase or something that you'd find out that, uh, oh, not laying beside the road or something like that, but you're on a garage sale or something like this, and it's all dirty and everything, and, and you recognize it as being a crystal uh, glass and a crystal glass or something like that, you know, a jar or whatever. Anyway, you bring it home, you wash and clean it up and it sparkles so much. Well, that's what happens to us at salvation. We get the new heart or we get the cleansed heart, a new heart, new life. He puts his spirit in us in. More than just a clean new heart, now we have his spirit. Like it says, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit or Christ in us. Child of God. It is so great. And when I had that transformation take place in my life in 1974. I haven't shut up since. Everybody ought to know. Everybody should know what they're missing if they have not received the changed heart, changed life, and have Christ in their heart. You can't even imagine 
the joy of living until you know you're prepared to die. Because see now, Christ in me, God in me, I will never have that separation in my heart from God again. I have eternal life now. Once he comes in, we're his children forever. And there's nothing in the Bible anywhere that says he'll reverse that process. In fact, Jesus himself says that he will lose none of us. That God brings to him, he will lose none of us. He will not leave our hearts. <clears throat> we are his children throughout eternity from now on. Well, that is so great and everything. Everybody ought to know. And we should be telling people. Now, if you cannot remember the time that you saw yourself as a sinner. See, it has to be a knowledgeable experience. You have to know and accept that you're a sinner. And then accept that Jesus is away, and then humble yourself and invite God to come in and cleanse your heart, creating you a new heart, and put his spirit in you. And when you go from all that spirit of lust or, or lust and things of the flesh and everything in your heart to a clean new heart with the spirit of God in you and his love, you will know it. There's no way for you not to know it. You couldn't possibly have been that good before. Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 was one of the best men they knew and everything. And when he received Christ in his heart, he and all his people started shouting, screaming, praising the Lord, speaking in tongues, all this stuff. And they had been such good people before. You can't be good enough not to know that you've received the new heart. If, if you cannot identify with having been born of the Spirit of God in your heart, at some time and cleansing you of your sin, start right now. Put that on the top of your list because that's the only way you're going to get into heaven. You're not going to get into heaven just by being a good person and going to church. Jesus is going to say, many are going to say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done these great and wonderful works? And he said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Think about that. Pray about it. Put it on the top of your list and keep praying and seeking until you do know that. It's time for another break now. And I'll be right back in a couple of minutes. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern, and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord, right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. 
Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. You're listening to God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden. Richard will guide you through the Bible and help you find God's purpose for your life. Now here's teacher and author Richard Harden. Again, go to uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and listen to what the Apostle Paul says we were all like. He says... And you hath he quickened, God quickened, who were dead in trespass and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince, to the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all, A-L-L, all of us had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. Now, but God, who is rich in mercy, see his love on us and to us and drawing us to him. For his great love, when he loved us, even when we were like that, you know, in times past. Even when we were dead in sins and quickened us together with Christ. Christ, he quickened us, he enlivened us. Christ, his living word, then coming into our heart. By grace are you saved. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show forth the excellent riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith. Now see, when he teaches us all those sinful things that are in our heart, and we humble ourselves, oh Lord, you know, they profit me nothing. Like that guy in the Old Testament, he's, he's, he's recognized his sin that profit him not. He's, you know, turning to God. But now I would say, Lord, please forgive me. Come into my heart and save me. Then when he comes in, his spirit, that is a work of grace then that results from our faith then, acceptance and obedience to his word and responding to faith, inviting his spirit into our hearts. See, so grace is always a response of our accepting God's living words, Christ, into our heart. And even now, as you and I grow in faith, you know, uh, God teaches us something or, or, you know, shows us something like that, and we receive it into our heart. But then, see, when it comes, in, those words come in our heart, they're spirit and life, Jesus says. So we're growing in Christ. We're growing not only to be more like Christ, but we're growing in Christ. Uh, and if I can find these notes around here... <laughs> 
I, I have so many notes here that, boy, it's something else. But anyway, I guess I can't put my fingers on it right now. But it's Christ, the living word, coming into us. And the only way Christ, the living word, will come into us and more coming into us is when we invite him to come in. See, so Christ, the move, the move of God's spirit in our heart is always a result of our accepting the living word Christ into our heart by faith. Now, in the Old Testament and in our lives before we received Christ into our heart, this is some of the things that were in our heart. Adulteries, fornications, lust of the flesh, idolatry, hatred. Oh, I, I, that hatred, I had a lot of that. I was so full of hatred. And, you know, I never did get even with people for doing something to me. I always doubled it back to them. I, I didn't believe in getting even. I, you know, if somebody did something to me, uh, they got much more back than, than they gave me. But anyway, hatred, wrath, uh, strife, heresies, lying, envy, uh, murder, drunkenness, and, and all this. But now, that that's wasn't everybody. You know, there's a lot of lost people or, you know, people today that don't have Christ in their heart that, that have grown up and they've, they've learned good uh, character traits and things like this. They've uh, good morals and everything. Uh, they treat their families good. They have kindness toward, you know, people in their neighborhood and, and things like this. They're gentle and meek. Well, like in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, he didn't have Christ in his heart. And, you know, he was one of the most respected and best people, so much so that God sent Peter to talk to him to tell him what to do to be saved. Uh, and just on and on like this, that uh, nice people, good people, but see, a, a good person doesn't make them a Christian something. And, and you got these good things in it, but you have all kind of combinations of, of all these terrible things and good things in a heart. And, you know, people trying to just get by and everything. But now when you see yourself then as void of God, void of Christ, see, there, there's no spirit of God in a person's heart like this. It's God's mercy on them, trying to draw them to repentance and on us when we're like that, like it said in Ephesians chapter 2. Now, when we turn to him, and like it says in Ezekiel again, that's one of the best definitions or expressions of grace. A new heart also will give you, a new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of faith, give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit in you. See, regardless of what's in a person's heart before they come to the Lord, he, he puts us all in now on the same level. He cleanses the heart, gives us a new heart, puts his spirit in us, and we all come into the family of God with this new, clean, perfect heart. Now, now, if he just helped our minds a lot more then, <laughs> and he does, because when we recognize all this, you know, we want to know more about him. We want to know his word and everything. Um, and here's some verses, you know, like this, like in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things become new. See, there's a, that fantastic change. It's even better than a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. You know how pretty they are. Well, some of us didn't come that pretty you know, when we received Christ, but, you know, our hearts did. Our hearts became perfectly new, cleansed, and just with the Spirit of Christ in us. And in John 3, 5, where Jesus said, you must be born again. We must be begotten by the word of truth, by the word of truth. See, truth is God's word. Uh, by the engrafted word, 
the book of James chapter one says we're engrafted into the family of God. You know, like you take a tree limb from one tree and you engraft it in over here. Now our, the source of that tree limb is the new tree that it's engrafted into. See, our source now in our heart, our strength, our foundation, as we're engrafted by the living word of God into the family of God, our source now is the spirit in our heart. And we need to be studying and, and feeding ourselves so that throughout the daytime he can he can bring uh, his word to us to guide us and everything. Uh, John 6.63, Jesus' words are spirit and life. See, as we study his word, we're filling our minds in with God's word and our heart with more of God's word. Because, you know, we don't all come to the Lord for salvation with the same knowledge of God's word. Now, we, we all have the same measure of faith for salvation because with the faith is we've accepted God's word. That we're a sinner. We've accepted that Jesus is our answer. We accept we must humble ourselves and turn to the Lord. And we've got to do that. See, there is something you've got to do for salvation. You've got to humble yourself to God's word and your sin and turn to the Lord and ask him to forgive you and take that sin away. It's what you've got to do. Everybody has to personally do that from a knowledgeable source. And it's got to be with all your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you shall seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. And that goes for today just as much. You know, you can't kind of hold back and say, well, I want to uh, wait till I get out of, you know, college. I want to wait till I get through sowing my wild oats. I want to do this and I want to do this. See, as long as you're holding back and rejecting, you're not receiving Christ in your heart. And if you die, you're going to be in unbelief, even though you know all the good works, like in, Hebrews 4, 2, it says, And to them was the gospel preached as well as unto us, but the gospel preached to them did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. See, mixing it with faith is that you receive his words positively into your heart, not just know them in your head. See, you memorize the whole Bible and go to hell. But see, receiving his words in, of the gospel, the good news that Jesus is the answer for our sin, everything in our heart, then we receive the new heart, the new life. And Galatians 3, 16, 19 says, we're Abraham's seed through Christ, you know, like it, Christ in us. And, um, Galatians 3, 2 and 9. And if ye be Christ then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We're joint heirs with Jesus to all of God's word. First Peter 3, 21, something like it says, baptism does now save us. And then there's Prince and says, not to wash in the filthy flesh, you know, the water, but it's a baptism like that, being born again. You know, the baptism of the Spirit. And also it says in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, the Apostle Paul says, we're all baptized by one Spirit into the body, meaning the body of Christ. See, so it's a, like a baptism that takes place. That he cleanses our heart and, and creates in us a new heart, a new life, puts his Spirit in us. It, because the baptism of the Old Testament, you know, like when people were baptized into the Jewish religion and everything like that, it was, it was like the washing away of the filth of the flesh and everything. Now, First Peter one twenty three, we're born again by the incorruptible seed or word of God. You know, in the story of the uh, uh, sower uh, sowing the seed, some fell by the wayside, and then you know the cares of the world kept some of the others from you know responding. But then uh, when he explained to the disciples, he said, the seed is the word of God. Because, see, Christ is the seed of God. God says, let there be light. Christ, the seed of God, went and created light. 
See, everything comes from a seed, grows from a seed like that. And Christ is that seed. Okay. It says we're born again in our hearts of the incorruptible seed, the word of God. Now, say, the reason it says incorruptible seed here, because we were born here in the fleshly seed of our father, which was corruptible. You know, um, Romans 8, 9. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Romans 8, 11. Same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you. He that raised Christ Jesus from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that lives in you. So every Christian out there listening right now, you ought to know you have the spirit of Christ in you that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, if he could bring Jesus completely back to life and everything, he can certainly heal you of what you got. That's one of the greatest healing scriptures in the Bible. But then also in John 15, 7 is another great one. It says Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. See, if we've received his word, we need to be studying his word and receiving. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. See, you're not going to be asking crazy things and silly things. You know, if God's word abiding in you and like that, and you're seeking God's will and everything, but he's going to be providing a way. In 1 John three twenty two, another scripture like that. Uh, says, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. Well, that's great. Boy, that's a great promise there. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we obey his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And what's his commandments? Jesus said so many times, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, obey my commandments. You know, accepting and receiving his word. So, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. If we're obeying his commandments, that we know and doing those things that are pleasing. What's pleasing to him? As we walk with him throughout the day, he uses us to reach out to people and, and we learn to hear his voice. Like John 10, uh, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and all others they'll flee. And as I mentioned in the last couple of weeks like that, uh, for those of you new listening, uh, you go to a big Christmas party or go somewhere like that and you and your boyfriend, girlfriend get separated or you and your husband and wife get separated somewhere. Somebody could put a blindfold on you and lead you through that party, and you could pick out your husband, wife, or friend just from their voice. You wouldn't have to see them. See, you would know their voice so well from having lived with them and heard their voice like that that uh, you wouldn't have to look at them to see if that's them. You could be blindfolded and pick out your husband, wife, and that's what Jesus said. We should you know, reading our Bible, studying our Bible, you know, and, uh, and walking with the Lord daily and like this, learn to hear his voice because you're going to hear a lot of voices out there in the marketplace. You're going to hear Satan speaking to all kind of politicians, all kind of, you know, uh, uh, civic leaders from the city, state, world like that. Uh, people you meet throughout the day at service stations and places like that. The devil's going to be speaking every kind of ways, you know, like it, foul, foul language and things like this, very dirty words and stuff like this. You know, you're going to hear the devil speaking to a lot of people throughout the day. But in all of them, I don't care how they're dressed, how soft-spoken they are and how great they look and everything like that, you've got to learn to hear Jesus' voice just as clear as if it was your husband or wife at a party. You don't have to see him. You can hear his voice, and that's what we're each charged to, see. And but we have such a blessed society. We have scriptures. Some place, a lot of places on earth right now do not have scriptures, and and they get a one page of the Bible, and they just oh, it just brings tears to them. It just these different smart people thought that in uh, translated these 
copies and everything, what they thought, and then pray about it and everything. And we have, we can hear God's words on the radio and television, but you have to pray about what you hear because you've got to base your life on God's pure word. That's why I've chose for the name of the program, God's pure word of faith. You cannot have faith if you don't have God's pure word. Was it uh, Proverbs 35 and 6 says, Every word of God is pure. A shield them, put their trust in Add thou not to it, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. So see, if you're basing your salvation on something that's not God's word, I don't care how dedicated, how sincere you are in, in whatever your religious activity and stuff like it is, Jesus is going to say, like in Matthew 7, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. And then he's going to say in, in Matthew 25, 41, you know, he's going to say, depart from me into the lake of everlasting lake of fire created for the devil and his angels. Live a good life and we're dedicated, sincere. And oh, I heard something so terrible. Um, even yesterday on the radio, a couple of men were talking about, you know, salvation and everything. They said, well, if you believe Jesus is God's son, if you believe he died on the cross and like that, said, brother, that, that's it. That's all you got to do. And God will just pour out his uh, mercy and pour out his grace on you. No, no, no. You know, none of that makes sense. Because see, what is it in James 2.19? It says the devils believe and tremble. See, just believing doesn't get you all these uh, blessings from God and all these things. You've got to respond to that belief. When you come to the knowledge that you're a sinner, see, that's when you believe you're a sinner. You come to the knowledge of it. When you come to the knowledge that Jesus did die on the cross, and he was a, your Savior, you know, he did that to save us from our sins. See, you believe it, sure, but you've got to respond to that belief. And your response is to then do what the rest of the scriptures say, call out to the Lord, ask his forgiveness, repent from your sins, and invite him to come into your heart. He will not come in uninvited. He will not come in just because you believe he did those works. You've got to respond to that belief like the scripture a while ago, uh, Hebrews 4.2, where it says, a gospel priest did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. See? And then Second uh, Thessalonians 2, 10, 11, it says people perish because when God brings them to a knowledge of the salvation, knowledge of his love, knowledge of all this, it says the people perish because they reject the love of the truth. You can have the truth in your head, but be rejecting it from your heart, the love of it. See, that's what happens. You can be very knowledgeable of scriptures and still die and go to hell. I don't want you to do that today. If you cannot remember inviting Christ to come into your heart and he cleaned up your heart and created you with a new heart, a new life, see, you're born of the Spirit. And you'll know it if that happened because you can't have the living God come into your heart and not know it after the... It's possible that way back here when you were young that that happened, but you've just allowed his love and in your heart to kind of grow stale and everything. He doesn't leave you. Because it says in Corinthians, you know, like that, well, we perform works of, you know, uh, wood, hay, and stubble and, and precious jewels and things like this of the kind of works. But it said, but if all of our works burn aside, it says we'll uh, be saved as by fire. Because, see, when Christ creates in us a new heart, a new life, there's nothing in the Scripture where it says he's going to recreate in us a bad heart again 
if if we don't act right. Now, we're going to suffer for it. We're going to suffer a lot here if we're disobeying God's word, like Second Corinthians two ten eleven says, "Forgive others, lest you give Satan advantage." Any time you disobey God's word, and and you know you turn aside like that, and you know it's God's word. It, it, even if you reject teaching a class God asks you to, if you reject His will or word, you're giving Satan advantage in your life, and you're going to miss so many blessings. You're going to, you know, give Satan advantage. That's why so many Christians in our society are sick. Back down the line there, they've opened the door. They've rejected God's word to do this and rejected God's will. Our society wouldn't be as bad as it is if that wasn't evident because uh, we're not supposed to have two or three hundred different denominations, one teaching one thing, one teaching another. Like that. We should be in unity of the spirit, unity of the mind and, and the spirit of God and everything. But see, we don't have that in our society. Our society is sick. All, he's saying, you're babes in Christ. Well, my goodness, we have three or four hundred different groups now. Our society is just babes in Christ, babes and not understanding the true word. We've got to seek the Lord with all our heart. Make sure that the spirit of Christ lives in your heart. That's your greatest decision throughout your time here on earth that you will make is what will you do with the Lord? What about the Lord? So many people say, don't talk to me about religion and politics. But you know, those are the two main things we need to talk about to each other. And you need to get that satisfied just because so many people today and everything say you don't need God and God is not real and all these kind of things. You know, when you stand before him someday, you better have received him into your heart. Christ in our heart is the only thing that will give us that peace when we close our eyes at night that if something happens, we'll wake up in heaven. You know, and that's the only way to get it. It's not theory, not philosophy. The new heart, and that's what we all must have. Then, when we receive that new heart and know it, to allow God to work in and through us to help others receive the new heart is a work of charity. So God's love on us is mercy. <coughs> his love on us and to us. When we receive his love, his spirit in our heart, then we have the work of grace, grace in our heart, and we have to invite him to come in or he won't come in, and in charity to allow his love to work in us and through us to others. Now, next week I'm going to continue and share some other things about mercy, grace, and charity because it, it's so important to understand this because when you read the scriptures, if, you, if you're if you using the uh, theological definitions, well, you, you may not even understand the scriptures. But anyway, if, if, if you take these simple definitions of mercy, grace, and charity, what the Bible says they are, and study the Bible, you'll get a good meaning of it then. And then faith, faith, you know, that uh, it's not just something you place here and place there. You can't place faith places. You receive faith when you accept God's word that he's speaking to you into your heart. See, that's not something you have carry around your back pocket. And like so many people say, place your faith here and place your faith there and, you know, stuff like this. Today I had to remove some of the outdated ads, so I will complete the program today by sharing with you more of what faith is. And the reason, because it's impossible to please God without faith, and it's so important to us, I want to share with you some more now just what faith really is. Well, hello out there. Any of you that are listening right now, especially Christians, you're going to be really blessed because most Christians do not know 
what the definition of faith is. And faith is very important because it says it's impossible to please God without faith. So our response to God must be through faith, the only way. Now, what I want to share with you here in just a couple of minutes is that faith is not what most people teach and preach across our nation. They say that Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen is the definition of faith. It is not the definition of faith. It is not the definition of anything. Now, but many people are preaching and teaching and writing about this and, and they don't even know what the meaning of faith is. Now, like I said, most ministers teach it. God's definition of faith is given by Hebrews 11.1. Now, just because it starts out, now faith is, they say, well, the rest of it then is the definition. No, it's not. You'll see in just a minute, it is not a definition of faith. This verse is, it only talks about faith. There's a great difference in talking about something and explaining its meaning or definition. To show the difference, suppose we come home on a dark night to enter our house. When we open the front door, we hope to flip on the light switch and have light in the room so we can see and enter. When we flip the light switch and the light turns on, we could say electricity is a substance that turned on the light fulfilling our hope even though we didn't see it. It is evident that electricity is present since the light filled the room. Rewording a statement results in electricity is a substance of things hoped for, light, and the evidence of things not seen. Now, I ask you, what is electricity? See, that's not a definition of electricity. It only says that electricity is present and is being manifested and is a substance that's caused the light to come on and fill, fulfill our hope. Hebrews 11.1 1 does not define faith. It only states that faith is present and is the substance of our hope being fulfilled. Just as the above statement only talks about electricity, Hebrews 11.1 1 only talks about faith and does not define it. Now, most of you can probably operate electrical appliances as well or better than me, especially new phones and TVs and things. However, if all power failed, I'd be able to generate more electricity. Why? As an electrical engineer, I know electricity. I know what electricity is and where it comes from and how it originates. The same concept works with faith. The better we understand faith, the better we'll be able to respond positively to God and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Now, faith is necessary and greeted in all of our lives. We're instructed in Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 11.6, we're told it's impossible to please God without faith. In um, Romans 14.23, we're told that everything not of faith is sin. Therefore, it's easy to see that our Christian walk must be a daily walk of faith if we desire to please God. Now, uh, as I've studied faith, first thing I wanted to know is how could I grow in faith and specifically what could I do like right now uh, and you might want to know right now what could you do to grow in faith without waiting for a good feeling or getting a mood or or could help you increase your faith and right now let's take a look at what uh, God and Jesus and the Apostle Paul said about faith and I'll get right to the definition in uh, chapter 32 verse 20 of Deuteronomy God is the first one that used the word faith 
Here's what he says. And God said, I will hide my face from them, talking about his children of Israel. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a very forward generation, children in whom is no faith. So uh, everybody doesn't have faith. And Jesus speaks about that too. When uh, the disciples came to him and he was asleep in the boat and they had the big storm, the disciples came to him and said, Master, you know, we perish and everything. Well, Jesus got up, said, Peace be still, calm the winds and the waves. And then in verse 40 of Mark 440, Jesus said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? See, good people like me and you, there's situations we can get in where we have no faith. And you'll see what I mean in a minute when you see and understand what faith is. But then Apostle Paul now, who said in Romans 12:3, God has dealt to every man a measure of faith, there he was talking to Christians in the gifts of the Spirit chapter, and all Christians do have an element of faith, a measure of faith. But listen to what he says to clear that up in Second um, Thessalonians 3:2. In Second Thessalonians 3:2, he was talking to uh, well the people back in Thessalonica. He was writing them a letter. And he was asking him, said, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. See, so wicked people who have rejected God's word do not have faith. That's what God said about his children of Israel. That's what Jesus was saying in those circumstances about the storm to the disciples and that's what the apostle Paul then was saying that he was around a bunch of people who had no faith that they you know uh, were rejecting God and everything they were evil and wicked men now just what is faith well the apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10 in um, verse 17 says so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God now see, that's not a definition of faith either. It just says that faith comes by that. Let's take a little look over here in Psalms 119.9. It says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Taking heed by responding correctly and properly. Well, Apostle Paul speaking in chapter 10 of Romans so then faith cometh by hearing. That hearing has heed involved in it in the root word. But also, like God said, his children were so uh, disobedient and everything, they had no faith. And uh, the Apostle Paul says, you know, evil and wicked men in whom is no faith. So see, if we do not respond to what we hear from God correctly, we're going to be in trouble now. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But if you look in Hebrews chapter, let's see, 3, verses 12 through 19, the children of Israel had heard and knew God's will to cross over the Jordan into the promised land. But Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 19 says, Because of an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. Now, departing from the living God is that God and his word are the same. He had spoken to them. God had come to them. 
And they were departing from the living God when they rejected his desire and his will. See, faith only comes to us. Faith is a word that evidently God invented since he used it first to represent people who or who were accepting and responding properly to his word. Because it says in Hebrews three nineteen says they entered they failed to enter in because of an evil heart of unbelief. Let's see un Unbelief is a heart problem. You know God's word or know his will and you reject it. It's like if he asks you to teach a Sunday school class and you reject doing it. I'm too old, too young, don't know how, whatever like that. For whatever reason you reject, you're rejecting to unbelief even though you're a Christian. You have unbelief in that area because you've rejected God's living word. Now, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If, like the young man in the Psalm 119.9, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto, according to God's word. You're taking heed to it and responding properly and correctly. Hebrews 4.2 says, And the gospel preached to them did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. See, for something to come as faith to you, because see, we've got to hear God's word, and we know it's God's word then about the gospel, and it says there that they, the gospel didn't do them any good because they didn't mix faith with it. Well, what would be mixing faith with it? Well, accepting and receiving the gospel into their heart, the good news, the words of the gospel. There's a lot of people, maybe some of you listening right now, you know you're a sinner, you know that Jesus answered, and you know that you need to accept him into your heart, but you haven't done it. See, you're rejecting him under belief when you fail to receive him into your heart and you know it's his will. Anytime you reject God's word, you're rejecting it to unbelief. Anytime you accept and receive God's word, you're accepting it to faith. Now, see, the reason I say to faith and to unbelief is because you don't have either until you make the choice. Now, if you delay making the choice, you're in unbelief. But you do not have faith until you receive his word into your heart. Now, faith is a word we use by showing that we've accepted God's word into our hearts, which we already believe in our heads intellectually, and we know it's God's word. Unbelief is rejection of God's word or the refusal to accept God's word in our hearts while believing and knowing it's, you know, true. A head knowledge or intellectual belief becomes, let's see, uh, to us to give us the opportunity then, but we have the free will choice to accept or reject it. And God will back up either of those choices of ours. If we choose his word, the devil can't keep us from it. And if we reject his word, God won't keep us from that either. We have the free will choice to make that decision to accept or reject his word. And our response has got to be either to faith or to unbelief. If you drag your feet, you're automatically in unbelief, depending on, you know, how long you're dragging your feet. If God calls us to tell, like, teach a Sunday school class and we reject our feet and drag it, it says in Samuel, it's like witchcraft, you know, that we're trying to decide not to do God's word or his will. The only positive response is to accept and receive his word into our heart. And we have that choice. We must humble ourselves to his word and accept to teach a class 
we're, then we're accepting God's word to faith in that situation. When we reject it, it'll be unbelief, just like when the children of Israel rejected crossing over the Jordan, and it says they failed to enter in because of an evil heart of unbelief. Faith is, see, when God comes to us in his word, his word is alive. It's him. He and his word are the same. So it's God actually coming to us, manifesting himself in our mind, giving us a thought or a pattern that we call a thought or something that we can understand. And so we're actually rejecting the living God when we reject his word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, but only if you accept it in obedience and obey. As Christians, we have a new heart from God and the Spirit of Christ, God's power in us. God is love, and His Spirit is in our hearts. In John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love, God, casts out fear, because fear is torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love or God yet. So in James 4, 7, the scripture says, Submit therefore to God, or His Spirit in you, Resist the devil, fear, and he, the devil in fear, will flee from you. When you start getting apprehensive about something, like starting to fly or a storm coming, looking ahead at what might happen to you in your job, your health, don't just worry and think about these future events, or maybe something that you're even going through right now. Philippians 4, 6 says, when you start getting anxious, turn to God then, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Your request and your concern to be known to God. Worrying won't help you one bit, but it will cause you to miss God's blessings to you during that time. So, choose, make the choice yourself to set yourself in submission to God in prayer, talking to God, and counting your blessings from past things, experiences with God. Then watch the devil and fear flee from you. Now, always let your anxiety be a red flag to remind you to pray. God loves you. He will hear you. And in First Colossians one twenty-seven, Christ in us, our hope of glory. So have a good day. God bless you. And be set free. God's Pure Word of Faith with Richard Harden can now be heard Monday through Friday mornings at 7 a.m. Central, 8 Eastern, and on Saturday and Sunday mornings at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. Join him and let's turn our country back to God. It only takes a spark to start a forest fire. Let's get on fire for the Lord, right here on KLRN Radio and the Spark Radio Network. Visit Richard's website at raharden.com. That's the World Wide Web at rahardin.com. At his website, you can see a summary of the six books he has written, where purchases may be made. He also has a link to 18 videos on YouTube and several blogs about Christian beliefs. If you prefer, visit amazon.com backslash Kindle and type in Richard Harden to see and purchase his books. Each of my programs are being saved so that you can listen to them at any time. 
There's just four simple steps to find the past programs. Go to www.spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Enter my name, Richard Harden, in the search box in the top center of the home page. Click on the brown icon, which has the Bible, two candlesticks, and a cross in the background. A list of my programs will come up. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. 